John chapter 19, starting at verse 7. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written... I have written. At this, I'm going to move down to verse 28. Verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
I'm going to read again in John chapter 19, starting at verse 13. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and set him down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Let us pray. Let's go into prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you would love us so much that you would send your only son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would guide us in this time, guide us into your word, guide us into your truth. We pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would have discernment. Father, we pray that we would know the truth and be set free and be transformed with a renewed mind and heart. Guide us in obedience and love of you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. As I share from John chapter 19, we're going to be going through several passages of Scripture. I encourage you just to hear these words, to understand what it means that Jesus is the King, that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet this King was rejected by the Gentiles. This King was rejected by the Jews. But He was not rejected, ultimately, by His Heavenly Father. There is a moment on the cross where Jesus is forsaken. Where God the Father turns away from Him. And He experiences the full wrath of God the Father. He experiences hell in all its graphic separation on our behalf where Jesus is the substitute and he satisfies God's holiness and justice perfectly and wholly. That's why Jesus is able to say, it is finished. Those are the words we all long for. Those are the words that we desire when we come to know Christ. We want to hear that pardon expressed over us. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, our sin is taken care of. That we have been set free. That we have hope. That we have joy. That we have peace that is beyond our understanding. 
It all happens because of those three words. When Jesus pronounces, it is finished. Those words of it is finished is a term for payment. This is a term of commerce. And when those words were spoken in the Greek, it is finished, that meant that your, the tally of your bill was paid in full. No longer to be brought up, no longer to be inquired of. The debt is completely paid. It is finished. So we see Jesus as the king. We see him lifted up as king. And as we go through these scriptures, we see what takes place here. And how can it be that the king of kings and lord of lords would be rejected, but then exalted and one day come again? So this is what we're going to be looking at. We see where Jesus comes into Jerusalem in John chapter 12. We see where him being king is pronounced. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. Yet as we see in John chapter 19, the religious authorities, the chief priest, the one who was supposed to be the main one who would be the one to speak the things of God, to lift up the will of God, to lift up the scriptures, he makes this statement. Because their hearts were so hard against Jesus. Because they were so consumed in their own pride. So consumed in keeping their own kingdom. Their own power. Their own authority. They pronounced this statement about Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. It's at that point as the representative of the entire Jewish nation. They are rejecting anything that has to do with a Messiah, God's promises, and God's will for their life. But this is not the first time that the king was rejected. If you go to 1 Samuel 8, 1 Samuel 8, this is where the people of Israel... They cried out and they looked around them and they saw the nations that were around them. And we see in 1 Samuel 8 where Samuel is trying, he's wrestling with this rejection by the people of God. Because the people of God said this to Samuel, we want a king. Samuel said, you have a king. You have God Almighty. But they said, no, no, no. We want a human king. We want a king like the other nations. We want to be like the other people. That's where we will find our comfort and our security. In 1 Samuel 8, starting at verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people, 
in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. This is God speaking to Samuel, comforting him. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Samuel goes on and he warns the people. He, he, he pronounces what will happen if they have a king. But then 1 Samuel 8, starting at verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us other than God Almighty. Verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So we see just as God was rejected and they clamored for a king other than God in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see the very same thing happening to Jesus who is God, who is the Son of God, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, being rejected because they did not want a king who would ultimately bring about the death of their pride, of their greed, of their sin. That's too costly of a king for them. Because to say Jesus is king means that you have to give up your kingdom. That ultimately you say, thy will be done. That you are the king over my life. That I surrender everything to you. That I can't save myself. That's what it means to crown Jesus as king and him as Lord. Isaiah made it clear that there's only one king. Isaiah 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord, the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. There is, is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So even though in, we have here captured in Samuel, 1 Samuel, where the people reject God as their king, they want a fleshy king. They want a king of this earth. They want a king of this heaven and earth to judge and be over and lead them into battle according to the ways of the world. But we see where the prophet Isaiah speaks into that rebellion and disobedience with the truth that there is only one king. There is only one Lord. 
Isaiah goes on, Isaiah makes clear that there will be one, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, who will bring about this kingdom. One will always sit on the throne of David, who is the true king of kings. But what the people of Israel, so many of them during this time, what the chief priests could not understand, what even his disciples could not fully grasp and hold on to, was that this king of kings and lord of lords had to die a humiliating, suffering death on the cross. They just couldn't quite grasp that. That the way to being crowned king of kings and lord of lords was the way of complete shame and sacrifice. That the way to be the greatest was the way to be a servant. That the one who had triumphed is the one who would be crushed on our behalf. That the way of the king was the way of the cross. To get to the second coming, you got to have the first coming. Jesus made this clear in Matthew 20. Jesus called to them. He called them to him. He gathers them around him, his disciples, and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Pointing back to the type of king that they clamored to Samuel for. That's the kind of king that the people of Israel wanted. They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there Jesus laid out what it meant that the King of kings and Lord of lords had to go to the cross. There was no other way. Sin had to be dealt with. Sin had to be dealt with. And either we deal with the consequences of our sin or we give that over to Jesus. Either we pay the penalty Remember, the wages of sin is death. Either we pay that penalty eternally, or we say, Jesus, you have paid in full. Either we take the words of Jesus on the cross when he says, it is finished, and we say, that means my sin is taken care of, that I have redemption, that I have victory, that I have been justified, that the Holy Spirit will work a process of sanctification in my life, and when Jesus Christ comes back, I will be glorified. It is finished. Either we believe that and trust that and hold on to that for our life. Or we continue to reject Jesus. And say, I will pay the full penalty of my sin. I will take God's wrath. I will not allow him to be 
king, my redeemer, but king, the one who brings God's justice against me. Isaiah 53 makes clear what the king had to do to be a ransom for many. Isaiah 53, verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. On down to verse 11. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And at the end of verse 12. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the theme of the Bible. God's holy word that we have, these scriptures, God revealing himself to us is all about a book written before the foundation of the earth. The book of life of the lamb who was slain. That's the book that was written before creation in eternity past. And all that these scriptures do is to point to that reality of the life that is found in the Lamb who was slain. Romans 3 talks about God putting Jesus forth as a propitiation by His blood. Galatians 3 talks about Christ redeeming us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake He made Him, God the Father makes God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And Philippians 2 makes clear. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the knee of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So again, the Scriptures confront us. When Christ returns the second time, Oh, how we long. We're to pray for that. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for him to come. When all to be made right, all God's people gathered together again. Sin will be no more. Every tear wiped away. We long for the return of Christ. Every knee will bow. But we will bow the knee either in joyful exaltation, knowing that we are partakers of his glory. Or we will bow the knee knowing that the king has come with the sword that comes from his mouth 
to render the judgment that is due us if we do not believe in Him. Part of the reason that the the chief priests reject Jesus, part of the reason why even the disciples could not grasp it, is they thought that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel and make them the people of all peoples again. But again, they did not understand that sin had to be dealt with. And there was only one way. Revelation chapter 5 shows Jesus as a king, but in Revelation it first displays him as the lamb. Revelation 5 verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So there we see in Revelation the crucified King of kings and Lord of lords, the lamb who is slain to pour out his blood to cover our sins. But Revelation goes on. Revelation verse, chapter 17, verse 14. It talks about where the beast and all those in rebellion make war against the lamb. And it says this, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And then Revelation 19. When Pilate, having no understanding what he's saying, says, behold your king. Revelation 19, starting at verse 11, makes clear. Jesus is the king who comes to sacrifice himself on the cross. To be our substitute, to take our sin, to bear God's wrath. To make us right with God. To die the most shameful death. But Jesus is also the King who is coming again. Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our king. So that's my hope and prayer as we are considering this this Good Friday. That the king who rides in on a donkey to be beaten and spat upon, to be crucified and mocked, to die on the behalf of God's children of every tribe and nation and language and people group is the king who will come again on a white horse with a sword from his mouth and all will be made right. Revelation 21, 27 says this. After it's displayed the new heaven and new earth descending down where God will dwell with his people, it says this. But nothing unclean, Revelation 21, verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. This is the, this is the new Jerusalem descending down. Nothing unclean. No sin, no pain, no sickness, nothing wrong, nothing false, nothing fallen, nothing that's not perfect within God's will and ways. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It is my hope and prayer that we will know Jesus as our King. That we will know Him as King over our life. King over our our marriages. King over our families. King over our work. King over our schooling. King over our thoughts, over our words, over our actions. We need a king. Because when we understand that salvation is a gift of grace, we understand that this king, Jesus, when he gives us salvation, that wonderful gift of grace that we could not earn, we could not do anything to contribute to or bring about in any way, that the very gift of that Jesus gives us is himself. Crucified. Buried. Raised on the third day. And coming again. And that's my hope and prayer is you will realize that there is no greater gift than the Jesus on the donkey. There's no greater gift than the Jesus who washes the feet of his apostles. There's no greater gift than the Jesus who hangs on the cross. There's no greater gift than the Jesus who rose from the dead. And there's no greater gift than the glorious return of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Open that gift. Receive that gift. 
live out that truth. Because if you know that truth, the truth will set you free. Having a good king gives you good life. True life. The only life that there is to live. Let us pray. Oh, Father, you know our hearts. You know the rebellion. You know the desires to be king of our own life or to make others king. Father, we pray that you will make us alive to confess you as King of kings and Lord of all. Father, we thank you that there is a balm, that there is a truth that sets us free, that is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we Continue through the evening and through Saturday that we keep the cross and the tomb of your Son, Jesus Christ, before us as we long to hear again those words Easter morning. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. But at this time, Father, we, we keep your Son before us as crucified. Crucified. Dead. And buried. For our sin. For our sin. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen.